finding out that the, the third largest component of uh, human milk is actually indigestible by the baby. And that third largest component is, is our HMO sugars that are meant to feed the baby's microbes. I think just kind of getting that and appreciating that and sharing that with parents, I think that's one of the strongest reasons for parents to breastfeed. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor, and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy Now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you, Tony? Uh, really good. How are you? It's been, uh, I'm okay. I feel, like, I feel as though I know you, as in... <laughs> You've been like in my sphere, in my sphere, in my world. Ditto, my friend, ditto. And we've been talking about this since before I got sick last year. So I'm like overjoyed that this is happening. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for asking me. Um, how how are you health-wise? Are you I'm, good? I'm so, I'm, I'm, it's miraculous. I'm recovering. I'm not 100% and I probably have POTS syndrome forever, uh, which is that really frustrating tachycardia thing. Um, but I manage it okay. And my gosh, compared to last year, it's been exactly a year and I am, I'm seriously recovering. It's amazing. Uh, you look fantastic. And uh, you, thank you. And your energy and everything is just brilliant. So uh, it's brilliant to see. Thanks, my friend. And you too. And I'm so excited to dive into this so for those of you that are just tuning in, uh, welcome to the Midwifery Wisdom podcast and YouTube channel. We publish both places. You can go watch us all those places and of course, find us on the web, midwiferywisdom.com. And today we are with the amazing Tony Harmon. And I'm so, I know, right? Crowd go wild. Whoa, I'm so excited. And I'm so excited to pick your brain, hear about your new projects, um, all those things. But first, let's like really introduce you. So you're a researcher, like a biologist, a filmmaker, like you have so many things behind your name. Will you, will you give us a full intro? Who are you? What do you do? Okay. Uh, well, thank you firstly for having me on your, your show and, uh, and hello, everybody's listening uh, or watching. Um, okay. So I'm Tony Harmon. I'm a parent first and foremost, and I'm a filmmaker and, uh, we've, I've written, uh, created courses, um, uh, written books but actually my perspective I'm not a biologist I just 
I've just spent the last 10 years in the world of the microbiome and, and the microbiology, but I'm not a scientist. So I think my, you are uh, now. I mean, can we give you an honorary degree? I mean, you deserve one, seriously. Uh, but I think I've, I've discovered my superpower. My superpower is to take really complex science and to put it in a way that people understand it. And uh, I realize that, uh, so I, I've, it, we've interviewed, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe about 100 different scientists over the last 10 years. And brilliant. So I have absorbed their wisdom. And, uh, but it's not my science. They're, they're the scientists. They're the smart people. Uh, but uh, I, whenever I, I interview anybody, I kind of I say to them, okay, you've got to make this really, really easy because I've got to understand it and I'm not a scientist. So if I can understand it, then I can, uh, part, you know, give, share your knowledge with other people. Because uh, what's sad uh, is that, not sad, but it's just that so the scientists are absolutely brilliant and they're doing this amazing search on this really kind of fantastic elements of, of birth and breastfeeding and pregnancy uh, and they publish in these journals and their papers are so difficult to read so difficult to access some of them are in uh journals that i that you can't even get access to unless you're at university so it's yeah, all in the this... paywalls and everything they like prevent you yeah and and it's just really frustrating so so and and that's how the academic world works and it's brilliant and it's fantastic and it's wonderful that they're doing the science I, I, so i applaud all scientists doing the science but there's a massive gap between uh health professionals first of all so health professionals who can access and understand these papers and then for the uh not just that but somehow they've got to take this knowledge and and bring it to parents and i think there's just this massive gap between these these kind of the the insular walls of academia and then you've got the kind of uh, the knowledge contained within health professionals and then parents so uh, like me in my perspective is as a parent uh, you can't it's just crazy that there's there's uh, walls between you and knowing really important stuff that can change your health and your baby's health Gosh, no, no doubt. Well, so some people may have heard of you and not even know it. So can we go to some of the things you've produced so that people can connect the dots? Okay, so uh, I was talking about this the other day. So uh, when I say uh, me, it's me and my partner, Alex. So uh, if you imagine someone sitting next to me, that's Alex, and we've been together. We met at film school 28 years ago. So we've been together kind of wow. for a long time. Wow. So uh, we started our journey, so uh, you might have seen our horror film. Don't watch it. That was <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that that was your start. That just tickled me so much. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we made a, a psychological horror uh, that got picked up by uh, Lionsgate. So it's out there in the world. I'm not even going to name it, but uh, if you find it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, great. We all have a shady past. Yours is just televised, right? <laughs> I know, I know. And so it's out in the world. Uh, and so it. then we, um, after having a, a baby, we started sort of switch to making documentaries about childbirth. So we made a film called Doula. So um, uh, if you've seen the film Doula, that's by me. And uh, that was a showcase the work of uh, birth and, and postnatal doulas. And I wish I'd known about doulas before I had a baby. And uh, they're just fantastic. I love doulas. Uh, and then I made a film about the politics of childbirth and uh, human rights in childbirth called Freedom for Birth. 
and that was about the uh, imprisoned mid midwife Agnes Garib in Hungary and about how uh, a mother that she supported during her birth, um, she took her country to the European Court of Human Rights and won this landmark case. So her name was Anna Tarnowski and the, the ruling was the Tarnowski ruling and uh, that changed the kind of human rights in childbirth and that that um, so and that was just fantastic and we had uh, people marching in the streets of Buenos Aires after screenings and we got kind of all these emails saying this is you know with this shouldn't happen and I know some states in America where um, home birth midwifery is still illegal so anyway so you, know, you might have seen so people might have seen freedom for birth and then we uh we kind of started looking into the science of birth. So uh, we made a film called Microbirth, and which is all about the uh, microscopic events happening during pregnancy, birth and breastfeeding. And from there, we've written uh, books. There's two books. So uh, Your Baby's Microbiome, which is the American version, and then The Microbiome Effect, which is the UK version. And then I've created a whole school and uh, with online courses, which is, uh, well, if you know Microbirth, you will know it as Microbirth School. If you've never heard of microbirth, then it's microbiome courses. So, uh, and that's us really. And then right, right now, we're uh, our next thing is to bring this information to parents. That's so exciting. Our audience is predominantly midwives and birth workers. Um, certainly, we we have lots of parents tuning in too. But I'm wondering if you would, um, from the most simplistic terms, for folks that this is new for, what is microbirth? What is the microbiome? What are we talking about here? Why is it so important? Okay, great question. Okay, so uh, if you're watching this as a video, you'll see me, you'll see your, you, August, Augustine. Um, okay, so you see me, I'm Tony, and I have uh, trillions of human cells, right? That's, that's, that's who we are, that's who we are as humans. But we also have trillions of microorganisms, so single cells, cell microorganisms, so bacteria, viruses, protozoa, um, archaea, all in this kind of schmugsborg of, of, of microorganisms that live on and in us. So the trillions of microorganisms that live on and in us, the collective word for that, for that community is the microbiome, the human microbiome. So they're amazing, these, uh, these little microbes. They are fantastic for your human health. So they're good for digestion, for your immune system. They have um, um, help you have anti-infective uh, properties. They help with uh, digestion, metabolism, all these amazing things of uh, these microbes living on and in us, right? So uh, you might have heard of gut health. And uh, so uh, a whole load of these trillions of microbes live in the end of your gut. And uh, they're the ones that help with digestion. So. Um, if your body is balanced, your microbiome is balanced, um, your body is thriving. Everything kind of works to capacity. If you have a, a dysbiotic, what the scientists would call a dysbiotic gut, where it's unbalanced, where things start kind of not working so well, and that leads to um, inflammation, and this is connected to all range of diseases from asthma, atopic diseases, uh, type 1 diabetes, uh you know kind of some gut there's the scientists are thinking about there's a gut brain connection so how you feel and how you um your whole workings of your brain and that's that's connected to your gut 
So it's, there's complex layers to this and the, the scientists are discovering more and more all the time. But it's really, once you get into it, it's amazing. It's like this, this onion starts to unpeel and uh, it's fantastic. But right, so this is the this is the this is the bit. So if you listen to nothing else, or listen to this like this, right? So uh, <laughs> um, the mother. So when you're pregnant, you do, your microbiome um, of your vagina and your gut that develops and prepares in preparation for birth and for breastfeeding. So uh, a pregnant mother or an expectant parent, uh, when when she gives birth, they're bacterial ecosystem is passed from mother to baby and uh, so so everybody's microbiome is unique and it's the mother's unique microbiome that's passed to her baby if you have a vaginal birth so that's the seeding that's the main seeding event for founding the infant microbiome and then this is that this this bit blows my mind so within uh, breast milk are these special sugars and they're called human milk oligosaccharides and they're just wonderful and everyone's got to make their own unique set of um, oligosaccharides these special sugars in your breast milk everyone's got different sets there's up to 200 being discovered and everyone's got a whole unique set of combinations of these these special sugars so those special sugars they're the food not for the baby no they're not food for the baby no they're feed they're food for the microbes in the baby's gut that have been transferred from the mum and so that's the kind of feed part so you've got seed the beneficial bacteria from the mum is past the baby then you've got the feed which is these special sugars in in human milk which uh, feed the beneficial microbes in the baby's gut and they're the ones that you want to train the infant immune system set that up right right at the beginning that'll protect the baby for for the baby's long-term health if wow, that, that's so if incredible. That, yeah, but if there anything kind of interferes with that whole processes, so whole process, so things like um, C-section, antibiotics or infant formula, then <laughs> this can interfere with this process and that could lead to potential maleducation of the infant immune system. And that's mm. what scientists believe that's, that could explain why say babies born by C-section are increased risk of um, atopic disease, allergies, asthma, type one diabetes, even obesity. So all these conditions are being related to cesarean. So at the moment, it's just co uh, correlation, not causation. And causation might take another hundred years to prove, but it's yep. all the science is leading in that direction. Wow. Wow. Well, let's go into this, right? Because this is that really hotly politically challenged place of, of really uncovering this, this essentially this new um, correlation. It, it hasn't been fully uh, fleshed out yet, but it's looking that way. Because we all know that a certain small percentage of babies or mums would not make it without the emergency life-saving cesarean. So much the same way as how we talk about breastfeeding, it certainly is optimal. We certainly want it to happen, but there is unfortunately a small subset of folks who it's not going to work for. So in the same way for birth and for breastfeeding, um, you, myself, many others are challenged to find language that impresses upon the really profound benefits while not starting some kind of shame, blame, or, or like, um, 
you know, pathway where there's only one way, right? So, so tell me, because you are starting to translate this to parents, since we're talking mostly to midwives in this group, what are some of the ways that they can talk about this seeding and feeding that's so profound while at the same time leaving open the possibility that that birth does unfold, that feeding does unfold in unique ways? Uh, great question. Really, really great question. Okay, so there's there's always this idea of like parent guilt or so you, you can't share this information with parents because you'll make some people feel bad. And I, I'm of the opinion, okay, so even if you, you and you're absolutely right, C-section um, cesareans can be life-saving and thank goodness we have them available and obstetricians are highly skilled and amazing and life-saving, right? Um, and if a baby needs to be born by C-section or has been given antibiotics, the one thing that can help restore the baby's microbiome is exclusive breastfeeding. Okay, so the um, if, and that doesn't mean necessarily breastfeeding at the breast, it could be expressed milk that's given to the baby, the mother's own, biological mother's own milk given to a baby, ideally. So there's kind of breastfeeding, and then there's kind of expressed milk, the mother's breast milk. And then if that isn't available, then it's donor milk, but but you kind of take some of the um, mother's expressed milk and mix it in to the donor milk so that it becomes more personalized to the mother. And then somewhere underneath that is infant formula. Okay, so uh, so there are things you can do if a baby needs to be born by C-section. It's just kind of, if, if we can kind of get this message to parents that uh, exclusive breastfeeding or exclusive breast milk, if at all possible, and whatever you need to make that happen, whether that's one-to-one -one support with lactation consultants or with midwives or with doulas, some, I mean, I think everybody should have one-to-one. -one. I think anybody who gives birth should have somebody next to them who just sole job is to help them breastfeed. But anyway, back to this issue of um, making parents feel guilty. I, I am of the opinion that, okay, so I'm on this mission to share this information as wide as possible. And uh, I think hopefully in the next year or two, all parents will hear this, this information because it's, it's so vital and it can affect a, a child's life course, their health life course. But if parents and, and the ideal for time for parents to know this information is early in pregnancy, because then they can they can look to um, kind of optimize their gut microbiome and their vaginal microbiome during pregnancy in preparation for birth. So this information needs to come early, in my view, in pregnancy, so they can actually make changes to optimize their gut health. For example, eating um, like Eat their, their diet choices, lifestyle choices in terms of exercise, reducing stress, um, uh, getting a dog. There's research on getting a dog, all those kind of things that you have, you know, gardening, houseplants, exposed to nature. All of those things are really sort of really good to optimize your microbiome. OK, so if a parent is introduced to these concepts early, then they can do something about it. They can take on this information on board. And it, they can be empowered by this information. And it's really addictive, right? So once you learn the concepts of um, fermentation, home fermentation, or, um, you know, kind of what, what makes a kind of microbiome friendly meal and what you can eat and, you know, things like getting a dog and all those things, you start to see the world in a different way. And it's a really exciting world. 
Okay, so back to this parent guilt. So that's the ideal time. So you empower parents with this knowledge and they can make plans or preferences for whatever they want to do during their pregnancy, whatever they want to do during their birth and for breastfeeding um, or however they want to feed their, their child. So once they've got this knowledge early, they kind of sinks in, rolls around, and then yes, you're gonna take action. Right, okay. If this information is delivered, by a I'll say midwife just because you kind of mentioned midwives and that most of your audience is midwives if it comes like a day before uh, like right you know the 40th week of pregnancy and suddenly the midwife starts talking about microbes and talk, talks about bacterial ecosystem honestly I, it, it's too much it's kind of takes your brain in a whole other direction and and so if so if a mum at that point needs to go for a c-section and they're trying to think about kind of microbes and what to do for their microbiome it's just too much it's too much it's I, I think it's it's too late really to give this information other than breastfeeding so it's the one thing you can do is to breastfeed or to support breastfeeding so um and if a and if the mum learns about this information after the birth then it's <laughs> then they've kind of missed that opportunity so yeah they might go down this like spiral of like I should have I could have why didn't I something like that yeah mm -hmm. and, and it's not their fault and uh this is kind of why I feel really passionate about it because this information needs to go to every parent as early as possible it should go to kids in school to be frank yeah yeah and and that this is a whole new way of thinking about yourself not as a just a single person but you are a human superorganism. it's you and your microbes and we've all got to start thinking of ourselves as a human superorganism about yeah. putting microbiome first through yeah when it comes to birth or for breastfeeding so yeah there are and the earlier the earlier the information the better huh exactly so so yeah. it is tricky to talk about but it just needs to and i don't think you can um my this is my own view uh I don't think you, you can sugarcoat it. This is the way we have evolved as humans, right? So, uh, you can't um, sugarcoat it and say, it's fine, it's fine, doesn't really matter. It's, you know, it's just, it's just uh, like bacteria. No, this is, if you don't have, um, uh, so uh, one of the professors we interviewed is Professor Rodney Dietert from Cornell University. So he says, he describes it as um, if, so because the immune system, the baby's immune system is not developed when the babies are born. And there's a reason for that because um, you, there'd be sort of conflict between mum and baby as the baby's developing, if you've got this kind of a very active immune system. So the baby's born with a naive immune system has to, the immune system has to learn what is friend and what is foe. And uh, that immune training comes from the bacteria, from the beneficial bacteria. And so Professor Rodney Dieter would say, if that baby is born without exposure to those microbes, that child is on a trajectory. So you are born on a trajectory towards increased risk of disease unless you get these beneficial bacteria. And I think it's um, it's kind of, OK, we just need to know this. We need to spread awareness about this. Uh, midwives need to learn this and need to know what they can do. And uh, I know I'm going a bit of a rant, I'm sorry, but it's but it's kind of uh, I think the oh, let's not tell women because um, it might make them feel guilty. No, 
We can't. No. There's no sugar coating. Yeah. We've just got to get this information out there. And I think uh, there's no point. So guilt is if you make if you're if you are informed of this information and make a choice. Well, that's fine because you made a choice and you were empowered and informed about this information. Regret is something else. Regret is if you didn't know this information and then you hear it afterwards and it's like, oh God, I wish I I wish I knew that earlier, right. then I would have made different choices. So for me, right. it's all about informed choice. If you know this, if you know this science and understand it and uh, can have it early so you can make choices, then you can be empowered by this information. And it's exciting. It's fun. It's fun. It is. It is exciting. Well, so um, one of the interesting um, reactions or choices that I hear um, some folks headed towards is um, vaginal seeding of cesarean babies. Will you speak to that? Uh, yes, I can. Okay, so uh, vaginal seeding or swab seeding sometimes. Sometimes it's called microbirthing because um, we, we featured the, the um, Dr. Dominguez Bello uh, was in microbirth so some people have called it microbirthing uh, so uh swab seeding is a subject of ongoing research and it's still a subject of ongoing research and the full uh research papers haven't been published yet so this is still a uh, an ongoing thing so uh dr dominguez bello had this idea that if a baby is born by c-section they miss out on receiving the uh, mother's vaginal microbes and that's true. So um, if you think about uh, a, a vaginal birth where the baby goes through the birth canal, as opposed to a C-section where the baby comes out through the sunroof. It's, um, <laughs> uh, they that's don't what I go... call it too. I always call it that too. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's not, so it's not going through the whole kind of vaginal um, birth canal, which means that uh, the baby's missing out on those vaginal microbes. So uh, Dr. Dominguez Bello thought, okay, what we what we can do is we can um, insert a uh, sterile swab in, inside the mum's vagina uh, an hour before surgery and uh, let it soak in. And then before the surgery, take the, take the sterile swab out. And then after the baby's born, we'll wipe the um, baby's mouth, face and body with this, with this, um, this swab, which has been kind of coated in the mum's vaginal bacteria. And that research she published with a Kylan pilot study and said, yes, it could make a difference. It's a, um, so she has since published other papers saying, yes, it, it could make a difference. However, so in New Zealand, um, um, I've just, I spoke to uh, researchers from New Zealand who um, looked at that research and said, okay, what if you just put a pipette of, you know, a syringe of bacteria um, in the baby's mouth? And does that make a difference? And in their research, they found that it didn't make a difference. So it's so it's not conclusive, and uh, there's more research needed. And I should say there are risks involved if the mother um, has uh, is colonized by group B strep. Then, um, if the baby's born by C-section, the baby's less likely to be colonized by group B strep. But if the baby is born vaginally and uh, no, if the born by, baby is born by C-section and then is swab seeded with the vaginal microbes, so adding the microbes artificially to a C-section born um, baby, if that baby has group B strep or any other kind of um, 
if the mother has any other kind of pathogen inside her microbiome, mm. then you'd be mm. artificially given that baby mm-hmm. those kind of artificial, not artificial, but the, that those strains of bacteria and which could potentially be harmful to the baby. So, um, and also it's a subject of ongoing uh, research. So there's uh, really strict protocols. So things like research has only been done on uh, babies born by uh, elective or uh, elective cesarean or cesarean by maternal requests. They're low risk women. There's no emergency C-section women. They've all been screened for um, pathogens as well as group B strep. All the mothers in the research are under 35, all those kind of like clinical factors, which they've they've excluded. But there is some research, some other research um, coming out of Finland, which, um, okay, uh, (laughs) I I love this, but this might be a little bit of a hard sell for mums. So this is where you take a bit of the mum's poo, put it in with with some breast milk, and create a poo milkshake and give and give that's that a hard sell <laughs> that's a hard sell but as I always say I mean like midwives will be like yeah that makes sense because you know the vagina is like three millimeters from the anus and a baby's face just goes right next to it right so like they they get smeared with mom's poop like it's impossible to keep it away so it they do get it and that might be where most of the beneficial bacteria is coming from which is fascinating yeah in fact it is where most of the beneficial bacteria are coming from i mean the women okay the way you would know this as as as, as a midwife that uh, as the baby comes out they're facing the mum's bum they get a and they should get a good lick of the mum's bum they should be you know the the bum and the whole area is going to be covered in in feces yep. and the baby's yep. going to get a good is going to suck up that that feces <laughs> totally. and that is, and that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I've filmed at first and they've been like Poo City. It's been like Poo of- City. That is the new name. It is Poo City. That is what it's called. Oh, my God. I love this. Oh, you're so funny. I absolutely love this. Well, so um, I know that the research trials are like being very, very specific to have that scientific method. um, And we want them to do that. But lots of moms and midwives have heard of this. And so when a planned home birth becomes an emergency cesarean or even like a non-emergency, but a necessary cesarean, I know of midwives and moms who are sticking, you know, cotton, gauze, vaginally, and then like pulling out right before they go into surgery giving it to their midwife or their husband and then rubbing baby like what do you think about these home techniques can you do any harm uh, obviously what you well, mentioned is is if they have no screening or we don't know their status what else uh, that is it that that's the main risk factor is that you you'd be giving your baby bacteria that um that was not may, but it might not yeah. be optimal if you haven't been yeah. screened. I know that even if you have, if you're at home and you have a home birth, that baby would get that those bacteria. But it's um, it's just a slightly different mindset if you if it's an emergency C-section and you are deliberately giving um, bacteria. I've also heard of um, terrifying stories where mum mums have kind of not quite got this information or or not been supported in this information and and had a a swab in their vagina for a week beforehand. yeah and that is like yeah not not the way it's supposed to be yeah that's not it well so um so potentially attempt this at home or do you say don't attempt this at home 
look, I'm not I'm not one to give any advice. I'm just saying for yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For, for parents to be informed about what they what the benefits yeah. could be and what the risks are, and to and um, I would I would want midwives to be informed and I want parents to be informed and to read about it. I mean the yeah, it, it's not rocket science this, but it but no, people it's been, actually the most of, basics. Yeah, basic of biology, really. <laughs> yeah, but but it's also to look for those um those danger signs. I mean, things like sepsis or early group, early you know early onset group B strep. That can, if it if there is an infection, then that could be a serious infection. And babies are born and they're small and they're vulnerable and things happen quick. So yeah, it, it's kind of being yeah. aware. Of and especially and especially GBS. Yeah, GBS is a very virulent bacteria that is um that definitely wins the race of colonizing the new land of baby if it gets there first and that that is very concerning well so when we started you said that one of the things that really interrupts this seeding and feeding is antibiotics so can we pull this apart because in the united states the protocol is um you know uh universal screening whereas many other countries like where i'm working in india it's actually um only risk-based treatment um, what's it like in UK? How do they treat GBS or how do they test for GBS? How do they, do they prophylactically treat everyone or do they just specifically treat people? And then what do we say to moms? If we say, you know, the, the antibiotics potentially impacts this process, but it's necessary for you. Like how, how do we process that? Is it, see, this is another really hard one, right? Um, yeah. because, uh, some research says up to 45% of babies are exposed to antibiotics, and that could be because of group B strep, so mum test positive for group B strep, or um, they're just there are risks involved, and so um, you know, so uh, early if the waters go, and you know, so the, there's a fear of of um, a prolonged rupture of membranes. You know, so all yeah, of that I stuff. mean, women women receive antibiotics in labor for testing positive with GBS anytime for developing even a minor grade fever for prolonged rupture of membranes post cesarean if they have any kind of hint of choriamnitis that they're all getting antibiotics. So I think it's really possible that forty percent or even more get antibiotics in labor. I think that's really possible, and that's quite terrifying because if you imagine a, <laughs> um, I don't want to, I don't want to terrify anybody. So, uh, well, we're midwives. We're already really scared. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you imagine, so if they're broad spectrum antibiotics, that means they wipe out bacteria. So 95, 97, 99% bacteria. So that's not, not just the bad bacteria, not ba just the pathogens. That's the good bacteria as well. So you are wiping out those, those bacteria and it takes a while for that, for that, for those um, bacteria, the beneficial bacteria, to recover, and also yeah. what might cover are the the um, antibiotic resistant bacteria might be the ones that recover and start colonizing the right. gut. So, so it is a real worry. Um, I mean, again, the way to restore it is by um, exclusive breastfeeding. Um, I've, sort of, there was a paper out uh, last year, I think it was, and this is really could be could be a game changer where they're starting to, uh, for the baby to be born and then for the mum to be given antibiotics, if it's a kind of uh, a risk factor for her and, and for, for um, say for after C-section, so um, the antibiotics after C-section or um, if she has a mild fever after, you know, during the birth. So the, 
so that the baby is born and the the cord is cut first and then antibiotics are are given and the baby is observed really carefully and so this is only kind of early early stage research at the moment but i thought that was a really kind of a, a really good way to handle this yeah, so here in one the step so here in the UK, we have a, uh, a risk-based approach to group B strep. So there's no universal screen screening. There's only screening if you present with, if a mum presents with a whole set of uh, risk factors. But what's really interesting, I was, um, I was um, presenting to a whole load of midwives this morning at university in um, the UK. And I was giving a presentation about the, the, um, uh, the microbiome to these midwives and their master's level midwives. Super smart, super, super, super great. And they said in their local hospital, they had just introduced, so, so it's a risk-based approach, but they just started using something which measures, measures the bacterial load towards sepsis. So the risk of sepsis for a newborn baby. So they're looking at that and to see if, if a baby registers high on this risk factor for sepsis, then they're they're the ones that will will be given antibiotics. So, so I just mm. thought that was, a, that was a really nice idea. So it's a risk based system. So not all babies are given antibiotics, but uh, and they monitor on this kind of this digital diagnostic to see which which babies are at risk of sepsis. Their their bacterial colonization. Their you know so what's I don't know how it works exactly, but I thought that would be yeah. a really good thing. That's fascinating. Is it? Do you know if it's a screen of mom or baby before or after birth? Uh, it's the baby. It's the baby. So they're, they're the screening baby load. after birth. Yes. Ah. Uh, huh. Well, that's interesting. The whole the whole point of the risk or of the universal screening in the United States is to get the antibiotics on board before they're born, because the theory is is that the GBS is so virulent. Um, so that that would be interesting. Well, so um, I want to switch switch a little bit now, and again, sort of talk to the the audience that I mostly serve, which is midwives. Um, and our like, so <laughs> let me just sort of paint a picture. Community based birth, which is who most of our midwives are, are working in homes, in birth centers, and clinics. Right? It's very organic. It's very relaxed. Right? We don't have big, you know, standards of, of, um, you know, PPE and stuff usually, although the pandemic sort of changed everything, but, um, it's generally pretty relaxed. In addition, most midwives are pretty big supporters of water birth. Um, and water birth's really messy. <laughs> You've been to one, you know, like no, nobody, everybody gets wet, you know, <laughs> there's no way to avoid that. My boobs always take a swim in the water, you know, like reaching over the tub and it's messy. So, so we're exchanging some, some of our human biome in those births. I mean, women are sweating and crying and puking and pooping and midwives are like shoes off and hugging them. And like, you know, it's like, we're, we make really good friends at births and we're exchanging. And so, you know, water birth is particularly hilarious. I mean, I don't know how many births I've been to with how many midwives where they dutifully put on their sterile gloves, put their hands in the water and then come out and drain the water out of the glove. And then, you know what I mean? Like, it's really, it doesn't work at all, really. There's no, I mean, 
you know, the gloves are for the camera. That's, that's it. They're not actually protecting anything. Um, at least that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know you're laughing, right? Cause it's, it's comical. You know, I know some midwives who buy the big, you know, veterinary gloves and everything. There's still water in those gloves. Like we're mixing, right? So, so, so tell me about that. Like what kind of, like, I mean, obviously we're screening our clients for, for some of the, the hep, hep B, hep C, HIV, those kinds of things. But we're not really talking about the subtle exchange of this human microbiome. And uh, some midwives are becoming conscious of this and are saying, like, we really shouldn't touch newborn babies without gloves on because we're transferring our data and we should actually be a lot more careful. Will you weigh in on this? Because I think this is a place that the whole community-based midwifery world could use a little like scientific update on <laughs> and some strategies. So tell me, tell me your thoughts. Have you, have you seen this kind of home birth reality I'm describing or is this new to you? Uh, no, I have seen. I've been to birth. I've filmed births, and uh, yep. they are messy schmoogers. Mess. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a poop city, right? It's poop city. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I would say, so uh, your home. So so having a baby at home is brilliant because the first exposures you want are your home exposures. So you want mom, dad, or or partner to be there and to to get the microbes of of from the mum dad and within the home because you want to sample those home bacteria for the baby needs to sample those home bacteria those home exposures because they the baby's immune system has to realize they are the beneficial ones that need to be tolerated so you want your home home environment with the people in your home so not outsiders from your home so it's mum dad siblings dog whatever is in your home, grandma, whoever's in your home normally, they're the ones, they're, that's the kind of the, the, the home microbiome, which is, is the primary ones that you want the, the immune system to identify. That's friend not to attack this, okay? Anybody who comes into your home, so your doula, your midwife, your, um, your photographer, your, I don't know, the next door neighbor, the next door neighbor's dog, that's not your home. So they're bringing outside um, uh, bacteria and um, other microbes with them, and which is fine. So um, if, that, if you've got a, or say a clean midwife who started off clean, at least at the beginning, uh, coming in and uh, she doesn't have any particular kind of pathogens herself and she's you know obviously we're coming out of coronavirus so so doesn't have any of those kind of um like potential pathogens in her microbiome so hugging she's going to be giving her own microbiome to whoever she hugs so uh and obviously okay so water birth is a whole different i'm going to come back to water birth because that's a whole different kind of thing um but anybody who touches that baby is going to be passing their microbiome to that baby. So you want to reduce the number of people that touch their baby unless necessary, because the ones that you want to touch the baby are the ones from the home. So the mum, dad, sibling, um, Aunt Edith, who's living upstairs, the dog, you know, I don't know if you, you don't actually want the dog licking or <laughs> hugging anyone. But, uh, yeah. But, but that's your home environment. That's your, who you want to touch your baby. 
obviously when a baby's born um needs to be checked needs to be you know if there's an emergency this girl goes out the window anyway because it's all about kind of like looking after the mum looking after the baby absolutely but where possible and my my, my bugbear at the moment is um i don't know what it's like in america but uh here in the uk the amount of perfume people are wearing seems to have gone mm. like mad I don't, I don't mm. know what, I, you know, maybe I'm particularly sensitive to smell at the moment, but it, no, it's I'm incredibly like sensible. I, I know what you feel like. I'm so sensitive to scent. I can't do it. I don't wear any, like maybe the slightest essential oil, but I don't wear any, but anyone that comes in with it, I'm like, you have to leave. <laughs> I can't do it. But if you imagine, yeah. so uh, yeah. if you imagine someone's scent, so, I mean, so mm. a scent, you sort of smell it. So it's kind of like the microbiome in a way, but you're, but you're taking that scent all around the house. And for a start, I think it might put off the baby's kind of cues because um, the baby just is going to want to um, go to the mum's boob, hopefully, and breastfeed. And if you've got loads of scents going on, that's going to be. They can't even confused. smell it. They can't. They can't identify with it. Yeah. Yeah, so, they would go. That's that. There's this American cleaner, or whatever Febreze. They call it nose blind. You know, don't. I mean, you know that. I, I know it's horrible, toxic, really stuff. But that phrase nose blind, I think, is exactly what all these heavy scents do. Is they they turn off this a very important scent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I mean that. I mean that. That's kind of off, an offshoot. But it is this idea that actually no, just keep it minimal unless you need to touch that baby. Just keep mm -hmm. it with the kind of immediate family. And mm -hmm. uh, and so the exposures are within the immediate. And you can hug. So <laughs> so the mum gets out of the birth pool or whatever. You still hug the mum as a midwife, but just don't hug the baby. Don't take the baby away. Don't don't yeah. give give the baby to the doula yeah. or to, you know, the next door neighbour comes around. Yeah. And I'm, I'm all for, yeah. I mean, I would, don't want to tell anyone what to do, but I'm all for um, protecting the birth space as in, not visitors and and just keep yeah. it really kind of minimal and uh so that the exposures the baby's used to and and the baby's immune system is going to be working really 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 hard the first day so if you compare that to a hospital birth then uh all this goes out the window really because the the hospital environment is so different from the home environment you've got people walking into the rooms one of the most amazing things about the microbiome is that everybody has a cloud. Everyone has a cloud of microbes that walks in them. If I if I walk into a room, my cloud, my Tony cloud of unique microbiome microorganisms uh, walk with me. So I come around and they walk into the room with me to the point where you leave a kind of an imprint of your of your microbes if you walk out of the room again. Now, if you think about all the people who who needlessly walk in and out of hospital rooms. You know, you've got your cleaners, your nurses, your doctors, your your change of shifts, your midwives, your maternity support workers. You've got photographers. All of them have a cloud of microbes that come with them. All of them, are, and plus the air of the of the hospital, um, is uh, has more likely to have pathogens in because it's kind of where sick people go. So just the even the air, and another bugbear of mine is the um, that wind that why don't hospitals have windows that open? just is sealed in you're sealed in with these microbes that you can't even get fresh air to to wash them out anyway wow. so, uh, so um so you've got all these pathogens in a room you've got all these people walking in the room you've got people touching the baby taking the baby to be weighed taking so taking the baby somewhere else sometimes it, i 
I don't even understand. Um, I, I know we don't have this in the UK, but uh, in America where you have, um, what are they called? Where you take the baby out and, and lay them in kind of bassinets, like a nursery <laughs> and separate mom from baby. Well, that's just crazy. It's crazy. And it's, um, it's happening for just about 100% of women here in India, where I work. Um, the, the cesarean rate is over 50%. Anyone who doesn't give birth by cesarean has an episiotomy. So 100% of women get cut. And basically every single baby goes to the NICU for a period of three hours of observation. It's, it's really disturbing. What's happening here in India is really a human rights violation. It's, it's crazy what happens. None of it's evidence-based. I mean, like if, if an ultrasound at 38 weeks finds a cord around the neck in the ultrasound, they automatically have a cesarean. If the water breaks and there's any meconium at all, they automatically have a cesarean. I mean, if they've ever had a cesarean, they have a cesarean. Like if, if the baby, if they think the baby weighs over seven pounds, they have a cesarean. Like it's, it's like, it's ludicrous. Like you've never, I mean, the stories that I hear, there was a threatened earthquake. So everyone on in the entire due month had a cesarean. <laughs> I mean, it's like the list just, uh, the stories I hear are insane. We have a major, major problem. And of course, um, India's health statistics are, are not fantastic for um, diabetes, obesity, you know, chronic illness. All these things are going up and up and up and up. It's quite shocking. I, I am really shocked by what you say. Honestly, that is really, really shocking. And because it's a, that's the whole point is that if you say you have an as, asthma, so one of the kind of you're at higher risk, if you're born by C-section, you're at higher risk of asthma an atopic disease. Uh, asthma has uh, 36 comorbidities. So there's 36 other diseases you might get or, or you're at higher risk for because you have asthma. If you're obese, there's 46 comorbidities associated with uh, um, obesity. So this is this trajectory of disease. Oh, that's really shocking. Yep. It's, it's, it's a crisis level and it doesn't seem to be changing at all. Um, I'm here working with the fourth birth center in the entire country that's midwifery run. And, um, you know, many of the government organizations won't acknowledge that we exist. They won't license, like we're licensed as a hospital because there's no birth center. You know, there's, there's only one nurse midwifery training program. There's no direct entry training program. They're like not moving towards the solutions that we see globally work. Um, and they're just sort of implementing more and more, more and more interventions. And the biggest, scariest one for me, aside from the 50% cesarean rate, and it's even higher in the town I live in, um, is the separating moms and babies. And it's so aggressive in all babies get separated. I, I, I don't understand. See, this is kind of why I, I feel this hard information to needs, with. Yeah, and this information needs to get out um, to, to challenge those um, health, those hospitals and the policy makers. Um, because that you can't, there's all the science is saying, kind of keeping mums to mum and babies together, that's that. Um, helps to establish the baby's microbiome that that could make a massive difference and you know because yeah. all the things like um uh just you know stabilizing the blood sugar stabilizing the temperature all the things that you know about yeah 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 
Yeah, to midwives, we're kind of preaching to the choir, but yeah, to to mainstream policy analysts, they they really need this information. Hospital administrators need this information, you know, all the, all the decision makers. So how can people get access to your movies? Because uh, they're so important. Uh, I'm going to just say one more thing, because I didn't finish about what I was saying about uh, water Oh, please, birth. please, okay, please, so please. I'm just going to say, so um, there's only been tiny little research. If anybody's listening and wants to do a PhD research project, do water birth and the microbiome because there's only been a couple of really tiny little studies um, and they're incomplete well they're just saying maybe it doesn't really affect it much but there hasn't been any uh, real like big studies that have looked at how water birth impacts the, the infant microbiome and how water birth could impact health trajectories and I know the benefits of, of, of women giving birth in water or laboring with water but it's but it's just this idea that uh can it affect the impact you know so i would think um if the if there's any if the if the water pool has been sterilized with really aggressive like antimicrobial cleaners just beforehand and then the bath is filled with like chloride water and maybe it is depending on the public health system all of those things might have an effect on the infant microbiome so uh Oh, I think so too. Oh, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think all of those things have an effect. Robin Lim, who practices in Indonesia um, and uh, you, you know, Robin Lim is, she's oftentimes advocated for adding like upwards of three pounds of sea salt into um, water birth tubs. I want, what do you think about, about sea salt? Look, I don't know. It's nature's, it's nature's antibiotic, you know, like nothing really grows or not very much grows in the salt water. So that's her idea for pathogens. I I think Robin uh, Lim is fantastic, but, uh, but if you're killing, killing beneficial bacteria at the same time, I don't know anybody has researched salt water being added salt being added to water and then how that impacts the infant microbiome. There's just, honestly, there's this big, so it's a very common practice, water birth, um, particularly with um, like home births all around the world. But I think because yeah. scientists, yeah. so microbiologists are in their silos, all they see and all they what they they uh, are researching are hospital births. They're not really researching home births and the practices, common birth yeah. practices that happen in home births. So I'd love anybody listening who is wants to do a PhD, research this because this is so needed for... Yeah midwives all around the world and, and midwifery practice yeah. to make informed decisions because right now we're just sort of guessing right it's empirical yeah yeah so uh so yes where people can find our stuff go to uh microbiomecourses.com that's our you can take a free mini course which um, features six professors and you can learn just the basics of the microbiome and you've also got our courses or go to microbirth.com and watch our film or um you could just, you know what, just look up Tony Harmon and uh, you'll find, you'll find me. Yeah, yeah, you're all over the internet. Well, Tony, it's, it's been a tremendous pleasure. I wanted to end tonight with um, kind of a, a, a sum up question for you directed to the midwives in private practice today. So, um, you know, I work with midwives in Australia and the US and, you know, you, India and Indonesia, like I, I work a lot of places and um, 
there's 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 some pretty good knowledge of this. Your work has gone you know wide and far, and people are like, I get it. Okay, what we're doing works. You know, midwives in the home environment supporting it. This works. We get it. But I feel like um, you've been doing you know more research. You've been working on new projects. There's new information coming out all the time. You have a tremendous blog on your website that continues to share really good information. What is like the one most important thing that you think midwives could or should be doing to help bring this um, knowledge into actionable steps for families? Great question. I would say, um, okay, breastfeed. So it's just finding out that the the third largest component of uh, human milk is actually indigestible by the baby and that third largest component is is our hmo sugars that are meant to feed the baby's microbes i think just kind of getting that and appreciating that and sharing that with parents i think that's one of the strongest reasons for parents to breastfeed and i think it's um midwives haven't midwives do support breastfeeding are fantastic and i think it's just kind of putting it into simple uh sort of simple nuggets of information like what sort of bullet points so that is one bullet point and just that mum's got a uh a, a unique microbiome biome that she passes to a baby with vaginal birth and those are those are fed by the sugars in breast milk keep it really really simple and just tell as many people as you can yeah and i would take from that just like in the one more action point is that like a, a, a birthing person or a new uh, parent struggling with breastfeeding in the first few weeks is a crisis. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, well, you know, call your local lactation consultant or maybe Law literally can help you. It's like, no, we need to get like serious about driving to their home on Sunday night and like helping them figure out how to breastfeed. Because if we lose them in that first week or that first month, like they don't come back to it. It's not like it can be solved later. So really focusing on early breastfeeding intervention and support could be life-changing for lots of moms and babies. Yeah. And just that, just that, you know, the colostrum, just getting any colostrum yeah, into, just into that. the baby, just, you know, even like you say, kind of driving in the middle of the night on a Sunday night, just to try yeah. to give support. I think what's missing, what's lacking around the world is just support for that yeah. kind of first hour two hours and I know midwives are very very busy you've got loads of stuff you need to do but it's just like focusing giving parents that space to establish breastfeeding that can make the difference to lifelong health it, truly lifelong health wow well um any last like tidbits um I know that you said like um uh you just had this fabulous quote that's sort of got out of my head but um these sort of like um, talking points for the parents. So one is like that crucial breastfeeding because it makes the huge difference in the lifelong health. Um, what are some other things that midwives can say, birth workers can say, doulas, childbirth educators could say, and the parents would go, light bulb, oh, aha, okay, this is really important. Uh, nutrition during pregnancy, I think, um, I would love because your your gut microbes uh, changes during pregnancy, and it's really important to be kind of in balance 
by the time you give birth. And the earlier you start, so starting even before conception, is just mm-hmm. to start thinking about fermented foods, you know, whole food, or probably all stuff that most people know about, most midnights know about, you know, whole foods, fruit and veg, a diverse rainbow of fruit and veg. Um, just trying to, just to think that you are not, that's my, my kind of take home message, you are not a human, you are a human super organism. And we need to all start thinking like superhuman organisms, human super organisms. I love it. That's awesome. Tony, thank you so much. I hope to um, get you over to the U.S. to speak at some point. And I just love what you're doing. I'm cheering for you. And um, thank you. Thank you again. And we'll link all of your social media down below. Thank you. And have a fantastic day out there in UK. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. And uh, thank you for sharing this, this knowledge. And uh, I wish you massive success and reach and impact. And together we can change the world.